Merry Christmas and welcome to Faith in Your Recovery. We're glad you've joined us for a Christmas show today. It's not going to be your typical run-of-the-mill kind of program that we've given you over the past, but this is going to be something unique. This is our way of helping you to understand the power that exists that can help us all through our struggles and those strains and those moments and those challenges. We want to warn you, scriptural purists, that you may be a little offended, but this is going to be raw. It's going to be real. It's, as I said, non-traditional, but it's going to have meaning that matters. Over the past seven years, I've had the wonderful privilege and blessing of working with a lot of folks, folks who are coming out of their struggles, folks who are finding success, and honestly, folks who aren't ready to move forward, but have come to love and respect and enjoy those relationships tremendously. One of the questions that I've noticed or one of the comments that's been made by those strugglers and overcomers has been about the the community that are family with the comment they don't get it they want to be understood they want to be accepted they want to be heard and when I say they I don't say that in a negative way but just simply for identity purposes at this moment and it it's been one of those things to where their loved ones have said just on the other hand well if they could just get it, how can we possibly come together in the middle of that and find some commonality? Well, I want to share with you about someone whom you could say he gets it. But I want to start this with the story of a young man by the name of Wallace, Wallace Perling. The story, now a legend, is told how Wallace Perling added a new touch to the Christmas play in a small town in the Midwest. Wallace was a little slow in the learning department. He was nine at the time and should have been in the fourth grade, but was still in the second. In spite of his mental slowness, he was liked by the other kids in his class, even though he was quite a bit taller and bigger than they. According to the legend, Wallace fancied being a shepherd with a flute in the Christmas pageant that year, but the director, Miss Lombard, thought he he would probably fit the role of the innkeeper. After all, he wouldn't have too many lines to remember, and because of his size, he he was going to be able to present a more forceful refusal to the much smaller Joseph. So the big night came. Behind stage, Wallace was so totally engrossed in the play that Miss Lombard had to make sure he didn't wander on stage before his cue. Then came Wallace's part. Looking exhausted from the long journey, Joseph and Mary slowly approached the entrance to the inn. Joseph knocked. The door opened immediately, and with Wallace putting on his gruffest voice, Wallace declared, What do you want? We seek lodging, Joseph replied. Seek it elsewhere, Wallace barked. This inn is filled. Sir, we've asked everywhere in vain. We've traveled far and are very weary. There's no room in this inn for you, Wallace stated strongly. 
Please, good innkeeper. This is my wife, Mary. She's heavy with child and needs a place to rest. Surely, surely we must have a small corner for her. She's so tired, Joseph pleaded. For the first time, the innkeeper began to let Dana's garden relax a little. There was a long pause and silence. Now the audience was beginning to feel tense. No, be gone, whispered the prompter from the wings of the stage. Wallace spoke, no, be gone. Joseph looked at Mary, put his arm around her, and with heads bowed in sadness, they slowly walked away. But the innkeeper didn't close the door and go inside. He stood there with mouth open, watching the forlorn couple leaving his inn. He was genuinely upset, his eyes unmistakably filled with tears. Then, totally unexpected, Wallace departed from his memorized script. Don't go, Joseph, Wallace called out. Bring Mary back. And then, with a broad grin lighting up his whole face, he spoke out loudly and clear. You can have my room. Some in the audience felt Wallace had ruined the pageant. Others, however, felt it was the best Christmas pageant they'd ever attended. Quite simply, Wallace, he got it. Yeah, that's not quite the way it played out on that first Christmas morning in that little city on the hill called Bethlehem of Judea. There was no possible way the innkeeper there could have known who he had just turned away. He couldn't have begun to fathom that indeed it was the Lord of Lords, King of Kings, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, creator of all the universe and more. Had he known, would he have found the room? In turning Jesus away, the Son of God had nowhere to lay his head except for a manger in his stable. He, the King of Glory, was born in a stable so that he could redeem us from our sins and provide for us a mansion in heaven to live with him forever. That scripture, that story comes from the book of Luke, chapter 2, verses 1 to 7. Let me remind you what that says. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. It was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in cloths, placed him in a manger, because there was no room in the inn. Regardless of the space, time, or even room we give him, God has a way of comforting us. He puts his arm around us, he's there with us, and reminds us through his son Christ, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. 
And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again, receive you to myself, that where I am, you may be there also. Regardless of the space we have for him, he has room for us. Many have claimed to be the Christ, but the Christmas Jesus, the one who was born as a babe in Bethlehem, is the only one who ever claimed he would and he could rise from the dead and who has convinced untold millions of followers, including myself, to believe that he did. How true. Jesus Christ is indeed the pivotal point in our history, and he will be the pivotal point for all eternity. The next decision's on us, folks. It boils down to one of two choices. We either respond, sorry, but no room in this end, this heart, or like Wallace, we can respond. You can stay and dwell in me. That answer will determine your forever destiny. This man-child in the manger, this servant in the stable, this king born in the dung, cobwebs, and bugs of animal-infested manure-filled hole in a rock, this healer of healers come to earth on a cold, damp night. How, how would you have responded? Would you have given him space? How are you responding now? Is he a part of your life? Listen, I want to take a moment to stick up for the innkeeper. I think in many ways he's taken a bad rap. This is where your purists may have a problem, but this is the Davis translation. This is my take on the matter. With all of my heart, I believe that innkeeper was a part of God's plan. And so was every person that had filled the rooms throughout Bethlehem, causing the statement, no room in the inn. Imagine this, if you will. The innkeeper's behind the desk, and he looks at his wife after a long day of work, and he says, we only have one room left to rent, then we can retire for the night. And then, the next moment, two couples walk into the lobby, entering at nearly the same moment. One couple is obviously with child, not knowing there is but one room and it is the last in town, they tell the innkeeper to take care of the other guests. He does, and that couple gets the last room. Upon realizing there were no more rooms, they offer the room back to Joseph and Mary because much to do with their condition. After all, Mary and Joseph had just completed, get this, this is scriptural, your purists will even agree with this. They had just completed a 70-mile journey on a donkey or a camel. 70 miles, do the math. If you're going three to four miles per hour, we're talking several days to make this journey, possibly 20 or more. Uh, terrain makes a difference. Weather makes a difference. But so does being pregnant. I've heard of going for a drive during a time of pregnancy to maybe help move along that moment, but a 70-mile journey on the back of a donkey, come on, that's, that's got to be beyond. I've, I've already been doing it, but I'm going to continue to take some literary license here. I see Joseph and Mary looking at the couple 
after they'd been offered their room, their eyes filled with tears, their hearts filled with relief and thanksgiving. You can just see it on them. Ah, finally, rest, a bed, a place to lay our head. But then, all of a sudden, the baby kicks within Mary. She feels it. She has Joseph reach down. He can almost touch the elbow or the hand or the knee, whatever it may have been. The movement in that moment causes her to challenge her choice, almost as if the baby was trying to tell her something. Can you imagine? Let me ask you folks. Can you imagine Jesus taking the last of anything? Understand, for the next 33 years, the Son of God would never take the easy way out. He would spend his life homeless. He was quoted as having said the Son of Man doesn't even have a pillow on which to lay his head. Most of the time, he wouldn't know where his next meal was coming from. He'd always go the extra mile and make the next sacrifice. He wouldn't just give until it hurt. He would give until it helped. Then, in the end, just like his birth here in this borrowed hole in a rock, he would be buried in a borrowed tomb. I'm of the absolute belief that if Joseph and Mary had been able to ask their man-child Jesus his opinion, he would have said to the other couple, please, you guys take this. We're okay. Then they'd be off to that dark, damp, dingy hole in a rock. Later that night, or perhaps early in the morning, was an event, a moment that would forever change the world, one person at a time. Lowly, bottom of the bottom echelon, worthless thinking, hadn't bathed in days or weeks. Shepherds were the first to receive the story, and here's how it went. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Today, in the city of David, is born a Savior, and his name is Jesus. Think about that. The news wasn't delivered to the local television station. It didn't go to those you know, living high on the hill in in their style of life, but it went to the lowliest of low, the shepherds. And I know, I know many of those of you who follow our program feel like that's who you are sometimes, that you are the dust on somebody's feet. I think Jesus is trying to tell you differently here. Please understand that. He didn't come down here for us to look up to him, he came to earth so he could lift us up. He who owned the cattle on a thousand hills, who directed the mountains how high they could go, the waters where to end their shores, was born in the lowliest of lows. There has to be why. There must be. Let me give a couple, three suggestions what that may have been. Maybe Maybe so he could identify with the oppressed, the forgotten, the throwaways, the rejects, the discarded, the outcasts, the poor, 
those worthless pieces of fill in the blank, those people who have wasted their life and made horrific choices. Yeah, I'm talking about us. He didn't come down here to live above us. In the flesh, he came so he could identify with us and us with him just once. Tell him he doesn't know what you're going through. Just once, tell Jesus, you don't get it. And you know how he's going to respond back? He's going to say, then you haven't looked at my life. Listen with your heart. Hear him say, I actually do get it. It says in 2 Corinthians 8, 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich. Do you get that? Though he was rich, yet for your sake, my sake, he became poor so that you, me, through his poverty, might become rich. Here's, here's a second option. There was an early reminder, a warning that choosing to, to follow Christ isn't the easy way out. It says in Matthew 16, 24, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow him. It's an uneasy journey. However, it's a journey that's worth it. If you're in that recovery journey, it's not easy. We get that. We do. But you also get the fact that it is worth it. Isaiah 5.3 speaks of how the Messiah would be despised, rejected. Have you ever felt that? Being despised, being rejected by men? Yeah, a man of sorrows familiar with suffering. This Jesus gets it. It says in John 1.14 in the message translation of the Bible, he has moved into the neighborhood. I love that thought. Jesus has moved into our neighborhood, the neighborhood of the hurting, the neighborhood of the hopeless, the neighborhood of the homeless, the neighborhood of the wealthy, the neighborhood of the successful, the neighborhood of those who don't even know what success is, those who don't know if they'll see tomorrow. And he's moved in. He's moved in with us, not apart from us. That word became flesh and blood. You got that? Touchable. Real, raw, just like you and me. I invite you. I don't know where you're at in your, in your recovery journey. I don't know where you're at in your spiritual journey. But I do. I do want you to be above where you are. I want you to climb one more step on that ladder to the victory you're hunting for. I want you to go around one more corner. Now, here, here's a way. Here's a way to help you out with it. You know, this... This is more than an answer. This becomes a lifestyle. This is more than a question. This becomes the way for you to be all that all that you were created to be. It says in his word that if we'll confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There's no asterisk that says unless unless you've been into addiction, unless, unless you've stolen, unless, unless you've lied, there's no exception. When we confess our sins to him, 
He's faithful and just to forgive us those sins. Confession, it simply means we speak it out to the one who hears us best. And we know that in that moment, he touches us, he cleanses us, he changes us, and he brings recovery from the sin that we've been living in. This Christmas, I hope, I pray, that's the gift you seek because it's the gift he wants to give. And it's why we, at A Better Life, bring in his hope through this podcast, Faith in Your Recovery. It's why we exist. It's not an easy thing. It takes time. It takes energy. It takes effort. But I'm here to tell you, just like Jesus told me, you're worth it. Step up. Step out. Enjoy that new life, a better life, and trust God from this moment forward. Look behind you and change those ways. Look before you and see the glory and the joy and the peace the peace of Christmas that God wants to give to you. Thank you. Know this, whatever your day may be, let God have it. Whatever your struggle is, turn it over to Him. Whatever your joys are, praise Him for them. And know, once again, we love you. We care. Please, Continue to tune in. Let's build this relationship together because we believe with all of our hearts, together we overcome. Thank you. Merry Christmas.